Welcome to Stumbling Through Work, where educators figure shit out. I'm your host, Jared Huff, and I'm here to explore and share the complexities of our work and to let you know you are not alone. Before we start, though, please follow this podcast and share episodes with others. You can find me on my website, www.jarekhuff.com, where you can find links to my social media and where I share information and tips for educators. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Hey team, thank you for joining me today. So I want to know, is your school conducive to a multicultural environment? Now, it seems like everybody is talking about diversity and multiculturalism and all of these things. But first, you have to actually ask yourself, what is it? How do you actually define what this diversity or I'm just going to go with multicultural and use that term today um, to define what that is. And to start off, you have to actually define what culture is. And culture is just customary beliefs and social norms. It's that simple. Beliefs, social norms. Now, according to the Merriam Dictionary, Merriam and Webster, it says that multiculture is of relating to, reflecting, or adapting to diverse cultures. Now we know what it is. <laughs> so um, this multicultural environment. And I do want to start off by saying this too. That you can actually be in an area with primarily white or European children and still foster a multicultural environment. And on the same note, I want to say too that you can be a person of color and still not have diversity or multicultural components within your environment. That is possible as well. Just wanted to throw that out there, but the biggest thing is why have this school environment? Why should your school have a multicultural flair for it? And for me, going into a school, it just says to me, that there's cultural awareness and it encourages self-identity. And this isn't just for the children. This is also for the staff where they feel like who they are is represented. And just because you are representing your, representing your cultures, your beliefs, does not mean that you're anti somebody else. It just means that you are representing your self-identity. It promotes respect for differences. And viewpoints of others, once again, for staff, families, and children. Children are naturally selfish at such a young age. It's developmentally normal. And if we are taking the time to show them that, you know what, everything is not about you. Let me show you other things. Let me help introduce you to other things, other people, other cultures, all of those things. And if we look at a lot of adults right now in life, they missed that lesson when they was younger. But I digress. That's a conversation for another day. But um, it also, in my opinion, it empowers children from diverse backgrounds as well. It says you are important. The person beside you is important in everything that you are. And everyone else is just as important that nobody is more than someone else. That we all 
bring something to the table. What bothers me most when I do talk about a multicultural environment with people is they always thinking that it's race. Like they're like, oh, because you're black or you're white or you're Asian or you're Hispanic or Latin or whatever, whatever it may be. It's not about race. I mean, that's one of the components, but it can be about your family structure. It can be about your social class. And like I said, it can just be about your culture. All of those things encompass or fall under the umbrella of a multicultural education or multicultural environment, excuse me. Now, how do you have this environment within your school? Let's start with your classrooms. Within your classrooms, you have all your centers. Do they represent that type of environment? So let me break it down for you. If you look at your dramatic play area, you can have what's in your kitchen items. What um, what kind of cookbooks do you have in there? What kind of clothes are in that section? Their play clothes, um, their food. What play foods do you have? You can have Italian food, Mexican food, Japanese food. Like you can have different things that represent different um, cultures within just your dramatic play section. Um, within the art section, you can have um, different colors, um, crayons that represent skin tones. I think that's super important that children can be able to draw themselves. Um, with the different colors, that Crayola box where it has like the skin tone one is super cool. And even having clay to make sculptures and creations of different things that they may have in their culture and their families, you never quite know. In the math section, you can have playing cards that have different cultural things on them or puzzles. Your musical movement can have songs in different languages. I mean, that's kind of an easy go-to. Um, sign language. Sign language is another good one that's a movement and is a different language. People don't think about sign language, but it definitely is one. And even within music and movement, I mean, music is primarily written in Italian. Um, movement, if you're doing like ballet type things, is written in French. So those are two different cultures right there. In your library section, you can have a variety of books, obviously, um, that um, can go over multiple things. It could be, hey, I am Mexican. Look at me. Or um, I'm adopted. This is my family. Or um, I mean, it could be so many different types of books you can have in your library. In your science or natural um, area, you can have um, natural objects that are only found in certain places or regions in the world. Same thing with animals as well. Certain animals are indigenous to certain areas, which represent certain things for certain cultures. You can definitely do that there. Um, blocks. Within your blocks, you normally have little black people. The little black people can be different type of... It's not like I said black people. I did not say black people. That's why I paused for a second. You can have um, this different type of little black people. Uh, and it, just in, in the general room... You can even just have pictures of the families of your children. If you have a diverse family, if you have diverse families in your classroom, and even if you don't, doesn't just having those pictures of, of everyone and their families just all around the room creates a wonderful environment as well. It can be, um, you can do so much. And this is kind of where it starts. Now, I'm going to talk about where you're failing. And to me, you automatically fail. Your school fails immediately. If there are just no examples of, you know, racial or cultural visibility to children, like it's an automatic fail. Um, it's an automatic fail to me if the materials present only stereotypes 
um, stereotypes of races, cultures, um, abilities, gender roles, automatic fail as well. But going a little further than that, it's a fail for me when even the staff can demonstrate prejudices like boys do this and girls do that. And, you know, sometimes you'll see like firefighters and it's like always men firefighters and women dancers and no fail immediately. Just putting that out there. But then moving outside of your classroom, even in your lobby or entryway. What is the paperwork like? Like, is the paperwork in multicultural languages? Like, one of my schools, we are in an area where it's primarily Spanish speakers. So we have English and Spanish um, enrollment forms because everyone doesn't speak English. So, you know what? I'm going to give it to you in a different language. You know, are your papers saying mother's name? father's name everyone doesn't have a mother and a father so are we still at the point where we're scratching out one what if it's a same-sex family what if the what if it's a single parent family or what if the grandparents are raising the children or the aunties or the uncles who there's so many ways that families are structured these days that's part of having that multicultural um, environment if you're not doing these things to make people feel comfortable when they first come they're probably not going to stay super long because if they don't feel represented, kind of those things I was saying earlier, they may tend to leave. But on that note, we'll be right back. We all want our schools or programs to be the best. And although every school is different, all successful programs have the same fundamentals. Best Practices for High Quality Preschool, After School, and Enrichment Programs by Jarek Huff share standards to foster a high quality program. These tips will help you put your best service forward, focusing on your children, families, and communities. Best Practices for High Quality Preschool, After School, and Enrichment Programs by Jarek Huff is available on Amazon and Amazon Kindle. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about how you have to have restraint as a director or a manager. Like you have to have this form of strength, restraint, or some people call it your professionalism, because sometimes these families be on one and you have to take everything within yourself to just keep the professionalism you know, present, you know, to have restraint because as a director, I know I've experienced, you know, angry parents, um, cursing families, I mean, threats, and, you know, and people that think that I'm just crazy when I know that it's them, it's not me. I mean, I'm a little crazy, but, but, um, you know, when you are being attacked, like, from a angry family member, like they're just going off on you. And of course they're doing it in front of, they have to do it at a time to make a scene, of course. So it's never one-on-one. It's always in front of like four or five people and staff just to, you know, you know how they have to do. Um, never like really respond in the way that's defensive. You know, there will be people that's, like I said, it's always done around someone. 
And those people that are witnessing it will actually be just as uncomfortable as you are. So one, you're not alone because it's always somebody going like, are they really up here acting like this? I mean, we've all been in places as well where we've been in restaurants or stores and we see someone going off and we're feeling uncomfortable for actually, I feel uncomfortable for the person that's going off and the person that's, you know, getting it too. Um, and I'm just like, oh, I feel bad for you. And then that person, I'm like, oh, you sit here just embarrassing all of yourself. Everybody's going to feel comfortable, but you have to stay calm. And you actually have to take the emotional tone out of your voice when responding. Because when that, you have to think that that person that's out of control, they're, they're actually afraid of something. At that moment, they feel powerless. And because it's usually about our children. Um, it's either either about our children's safety or something that's happened or it's about money. Usually it falls into one of the two categories um, and both things are precious to people. You are doing something that makes them feel like you're taking their power away. And when you take their power away, as in you take anyone's power away, they're going to lash out at you. So as they're going off, you know, don't make idle side comments to other people. Just don't just don't do that um it makes that person whoever's going off it feels like you're talking about them which is just going to piss them off even more you know now pause what i'm saying is to not heighten the situation i didn't say let somebody just cuss you out i did not say that because let me tell you that would never fly over here um as I've had the experience over these years. I know how to de-escalate situations quickly, but it takes, you know, practice and time to learn how to de-escalate situations. But when someone's angry, you know, I just say, you know, can we step over here really quick? Or um, sometimes, I mean, I've had a lady attempt to cuss me all the way out. Uh, she was, oh, mother this. And I was like, whoa, 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 what are we not going to do? Calm it down. That's not what we're going to do. We ain't here with the children. And I understand that you're angry. So let's go over here and let's have a conversation. And then I gave her the ground rules of the conversation. I understand that you're frustrated. And actually, I remember it was about um, her child had a bite. It, it wasn't even really that serious. Um, and the reason why I say it's not that serious, not to diminish how that family felt. But it, from my aspect, there was no skin broken. You couldn't even see the bite anymore. Um, we were just telling you about the bite, um, but she just, I come to find out she was having a rough life and that happens sometimes too. But um, I had a conversation, my conversation went, you know, I understand you're angry, but let me tell you, we're going to have a conversation. I'm going to let you talk after you talk, then I'm going to talk and we're going to be calm so we can hear each other so we can get to a clearer understanding. I took control of that situation and that's how I do with everyone. I kind of give them my little ground rules. Um, because you're not going to be belligerent and carrying on with me, but I have to have restraint because I've also learned that it's not about being right. Even though I'm usually am right, it's not about being right. It's about getting them to where I want them to be, because when I focus on trying to be right, it's usually just going to piss them off more. And that's where I've had to learn to have restraint from being right. And <laughs> that sounds really, really crazy. But think about it when you're pissed, when you're mad, because, you know, when you're emotional, when emotions are high, your logic is low. So at that moment, when somebody is completely pissed off, 
and you're trying to explain something, you're trying to get them to see what you're trying to get them to see, it just makes the situation worse. They just completely just get pissed off even more. And if your focus is trying to be right, I know I'm right, even though that you even though you may be 100% correct, it's not is never going to work out right. Here's a story. One time I had this manager call me and she was telling me about a situation she had with the with the family member with this mom. And she ended up calling the mom to tell her that her child was sick and that he that she needed him. She needed her to come pick up. So the mom gets there and the mom says, like every other parent, oh, my kid's sick. But you always have all these other kids that are sick, which is the go to for every parent for them not realizing that, you know, sometimes kids are sick and we're waiting for the parents to come pick them up or they may just have allergies and they have a doctor's note and, you know, we can't release that information, so we just let them vent on. So the mom says this, and the manager's rebuttal was, but your kid's sick and you brought your kid. Pause. When she told me that story, that's exactly what I said. I say pause. Whatever you're about to tell me next, you had that shit coming. Just letting you know. Whatever is about to come, you about to have that shit coming. Okay, play. So then she says, the mom was like, oh, you want to get smart? F you and F this, blah, 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 blah. So as she's telling me this, I'm looking at my phone ringing and I see the parent name come up. I'm like, oh, Lord, thanks for giving me the heads up. So I was like, okay. Hold on. The parents calling me right now. So flash over. Hello, this is Jarek. Jarek, let me tell you about what this B did. I was like, oh, okay, we're going to be respectful. So she was telling me her version of the story, which was the exact same one. And I'm not, (laughs) I am laughing because it's funny. I was about to say, I'm not laughing because it's not funny. No, it totally is funny. And she was like, F her to me. And I was like, I let her go. I was like, okay, you feel better? And she's like, I'm not talking to her ever again. I don't want anything to do with her anymore. I'm just not going to speak to her. Whatever, whatever, whatever. I was like, okay, I totally understand. I'm going to, you know, I'll have a follow-up conversation. I can't tell you what happens with the conversation, but I will speak with that manager about it. And I know that won't be an issue going forward. Okay, cool being mom's cool. She gets off the phone with me. Manager's still on hold through all of this. Flashback over. I was like, okay, girl. Let me tell you what just happened. So I was was like, even though, and that's the advice that I gave her, even though you were 100% correct because she was complaining about children being sick and then she brought her child to school sick for you to call when the medicine wore off to say that the child was sick. You were right, girl. You were right. But that is not what that parent wanted to hear. You need to have that inner restraint to have kept that little piece of information in. And, you know, she understood. And I said, that's one of those lessons that you got to learn and you got to deal with that parent. So we had that conversation. The next day, when that parent walked in and seen her, she didn't speak. She dropped her child off. Okay, cool. I say about a month later, when this mom says she's not talking to her, oh, she meant that shit. Let me tell y'all what happened. They called me and they said, Jerry, let me tell you what happened. I said, okay. So that manager was in a classroom with with the age group. It was with the infants, um, and their child was an infant. They had she, mom had two kids, so one of them was an infant. 
and the mom walked in and seen that manager in there, y'all, she turned around, gave her baby to a teacher in the hallway and walked out. Let me tell you why that shit is funny to me today. Because I said she meant that. When she said she ain't with you anymore, she meant that. This woman dropped her baby off with a random teacher in the hallway. Didn't even know who it was, what classroom she was. And she walked off. Y'all, I wanted to pee on myself. I laughed so hard. (laughs) Ooh, that was good to me. (laughs) But right now, that parent and that manager are super cool now. Like, it takes time to rebuild relationships. Um, The mom actually brings her Starbucks and stuff now. Like, they're super cool. But, <laughs> but that mess was so funny at the time. Woo, that was good. But, you know, it's about, you have to have that restraint dealing with people you really do. So you have to hold your tongue sometimes. You have to be mindful of your body language when you're talking with people. Your facial expressions, your eye contact with them. Remember, because as a director, as a manager, you are setting the tone and examples for the professional behavior and the restraint that you have to have to be a professional in the business. I love sharing information with educators and program administrators. I have had so many successes, but also so many failures in my education tenure. I want leaders to know what not to do, but better than that, what to do. So, I decided to write a helpful guide, Best Practices for Center, Program, and Activity Directors. It's short and to the point. It's a compass to guide education leaders. These best practices will give you a foundation to lead your school, program, or organization. You can find best practices for center, program, and activity directors by Jared Cuff on Amazon or Amazon Kindle. So my blog this week is called Having a Plan in Place. And we had to remember that we live in a world where there are emergencies and crises that happen. And we had to be prepared for it. Um, as a director, as a manager... You have to remain calm and collected during a crisis because you are how people are going to react. And if you have a plan in place, you'll know how to respond. Each school facility is different. There are different things that you're going to have to do based off of windows, emergency exits, because you have fire, earthquake, hurricane, tornado, active shooter. There are so many different drills that we do. You have to be prepared for each crisis that could happen. As a director, I think the worst fear that we have is that something's going to happen when you're out of the building. And if you're thinking that, that means you probably have not equipped your staff efficiently. You should be able to leave your building and everything be fine. But Go to my website, www.jerichuff.com, and you can actually read the blog post about having a plan in place. And other than that, we have come to the end. So I want everyone to have an amazing week. Think about your multicultural environment of your schools. What are you doing to promote that? How are you creating and fostering that type of environment? The next time a parent curses you out, 
Remember, set the ground rules, have a conversation, bring them down. Don't focus on being right. Focus on what objective you want them to have at the end. If you want them to be calm, then you have to force them to be calm. And I will talk to you all next week. That's it for today. If you like this episode, it would mean so much to me if you left a rating, review, and subscribe to the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can visit my website, which is in the show notes, to contact me. And I hope you have a great rest of your week and speak to you all soon.